I'm Duncan McLeod, and this is the Tech Central Show. TCS is brought to you by MTN Business. Find them at mtnbusiness.co.za, and we thank them for partnering with the show. My next guest today is Dominic Cull. Uh, Dominic is Regulatory Advisor to the Internet Service Providers Association, or ISPA for short. Dominic, I was just trying to think this morning. You've uh, you've been involved with ISPA for a very long time now. How many years has it been exactly? It will be 20 years next year. So wow. Wow. about 80% of ISPA's existence, and I have the gray hair to prove it. <laughs> you must enjoy your job, though, to, uh, to, to, to keep at it for, for that long. It's, it's, it's never dull, and the, the joy is that you keep learning in this industry. So even yeah. as someone who's been around for decades, you, you have engagements with people and then you need to run off to Google or ChatGPT to understand what they were talking about. And I find that wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It never, it never changed. It, it's always changing. Unlike some industries, which where you're having the same discussions you were having 20 years ago. Yeah. I could, Dominic, I could, it's great to have you on the show. Doing, we're going to. Sorry. I could as a lawyer be doing wills and estates, Duncan, or conveyancing. So I'm quite grateful. <laughs> yes, we could all be doing something much more boring. But Dominic, I look forward to welcoming you more frequently on the Tech Central show. We're going to be talking uh, about some of the regulatory uh, and policy issues in this space, and there's certainly plenty to talk about. Um, but we're going to talk today specifically about a particularly hot-button topic, which is the issue of the launch or otherwise of Elon Musk's Starlink low earth orbit satellite broadband internet services in South Africa. The issue has turned into a bit of a political football this year. Uh, I think it was the DA who slammed the government's BE policies and, and, and blaming the ANC government for the failure of Starlink to launch services in South Africa. But I think it should be emphasized that, that really is pure conjecture and that we actually don't know what Starlink is planning for this market because they haven't actually said anything. Um, all we do know is that ICASA has previously said that they had a meeting with Starlink representatives. They haven't said what came out of that meeting or whether there have been any subsequent meetings with Starlink representatives about launching in South Africa. Dominic, do we know what the what the issue is here? We, we know that if you go to starlink.com slash map and have a look at Southern Africa, all of the countries around South Africa now have launch dates between now and I think early 2025. And the notable exception is South Africa, where it says service dates unknown at this time. Do we know what's going on? We, we don't know uh, publicly what's going on, Duncan. So we, we, we have politicians politicking, as they do, um, and seeking mm -hmm. to score points. And I think that put a lot of misinformation out into the, the public sphere. And, and the media has has jumped onto that and run with it because it, it fits certain narratives. Um, so, so we know from, from Starlink that they regard South Africa as a challenging regulatory environment. It's not as simple as coming in, obtaining the, the required licenses and, and kicking off. We do have um, transformation requirements. We do have licensing requirements. We have type approval requirements that need to be observed. So Starlink from the get-go had categorized jurisdictions according to the ease of entry from a regulatory perspective, and we were unfortunately in the third category, but that is who we are. We, we then assume that 
in, in, in the public discourse that Starlink is not entering the country because of that 30% um, HDI, historically disadvantaged individual equity ownership requirement. <clears throat> Without any confirmation from them, um, I, I know that there's there's been a lot of talk as well about, well, <clears throat> even with that 30%, it's not as if you're asking them to give up 30% of Starlink, the international company or the American entity. It would very much be they need to form a local entity, something like a Starlink South Africa PTY Limited, and it would be 30% of that which would be subject to the obligation. So that was the first real bit of mis misinformation that got out there and that got jumped on was that it was ridiculous to be asking for that, but that is not in fact the ask. So Duncan, in the in the absence of, of any direct word from Starlink, what we can look at is the gazetted notice that ICASA published last week, um, setting out its position on the legality of using the Starlink service in South Africa and possessing some of that equipment. And that notice specifies that there is some Starlink equipment which has been type approved in South Africa. So they refer to a router and they refer to gateways and they say those have been type approved by Paratus and a company called Magic Space Dust. And it should be abundantly obvious that you cannot apply for type approval for Starlink kit without Starlink's explicit authority. So now we have publicly uh, a link to say that Starlink is actually interested in South Africa to the extent that they have bothered to go and get their core equipment type approved. They wouldn't do that if they didn't have an intention of entering into the South African market. So <clears throat> it's it's not clear why they haven't done that yet. Um, you know, they're, they're in industry, there are indications that they have made some preparations to enter um, aside from the type approval kit. But until they actually tell us what's, what's going on, we're speculating and we're doing what South Africans do really well, which is kind of point fingers amongst ourselves as to something which is not really our, our issue in terms of we're causing the problem. Okay, that's very, very interesting. So it's impossible at this stage based on what you've said then to to know if fingers deserve to be pointed at anybody i don't think they do you know nothing special is being done around starlink here um you know no to to the best of my knowledge nothing's being asked of them that isn't asked of any other multinational company that operates in south africa so West Indian Ocean Cable Company, a, a Verizon, an Inmarsat, an Intelsat. These are all international companies, satellite fiber and otherwise, which have formed a local entity in South Africa and complied with local law through that, that entity. And where they are providing licensed services in South Africa, they have the requisite licenses to do it. So that's... <clears throat> by no means controversial or precedent setting that's been going on for for two decades now in terms of mm -hmm. multinationals entering the market so there's no real barrier to starlink doing that kind of deal in a number of ways either setting up its own subsidiary or deciding that it's going to resell through local partners who have the licenses i see i was going to i was going to ask does starlink need its own license to operate in this market or could it work through another licensed entity no it could certainly work through another licensed entity okay mm. so 
Which piece of legislation deals with the HDI 30% uh, figure? Um, which, which act is that? And, um, and uh, um, how does ICASA apply those rules specifically? So, Duncan, this is the Electronic Communications Act, 36 of 2005, the ECA, which is the central piece of legislation governing the industry. Um, transformation requirements of this nature are not new, however. They've been around since the Telecommunications Act in 1996. Um, in 2004, there was a, an obligation introduced on what was then value-added network services licensees to have 30% ownership by historically disadvantaged groups or individuals. So, again, we've been talking about this for, for 20 years. And it's probably fair to reflect that industry remains largely non-compliant with that requirement. ICASA is aware of that. Um, so in April 2021, they, they um, published a new set of regulations which have very specific requirements around reaching that 30% threshold equity ownership as well as reaching a level four certification under the ICT sector BEE code. So, you know, we have our, our history of South Africa, whether you agree or not, there are laws in place to um, equalize opportunity, to give redress to inequalities of the past. Um, and ICASA, as an organ of state, is required to enforce those through its licensing process. So that is all set out in the Electronic Communications Act mm -hmm. and subsequent regulation. I know in the ICT sector there was, and this was a long time ago, but when the ICT charter was originally being drawn up, there was um, an approach by, I think, mainly American business, um, Microsoft, could have been HP, one or two others, who said, um, we can't sell equity in our South African business because of whatever rules, um, whatever um, decisions these companies have made themselves internally. And they argued for something called equity equivalence, um, asking for, you know, they do job creation initiatives, training, skills development, and that sort of thing, instead of selling a portion of their equity. Is there any sort of arrangement like that in the Electronic Communications Act that would allow these companies not to sell any equity? There's, there's nothing in the Act, um, and Duncan, I'm far from being an expert in the, the arcane world of BEE regulation, um, but I believe there are you know, effective equivalent programs available generally in the BEE scheme. Um, ICASA mm -hmm. has taken a, a quite narrow approach to empowerment and transformation, more interested in equity in the hands of warm bodies than in corporates. So that's not settled. There is some high court litigation going on at the moment, and there are some, some queries still outstanding. Um, but the, the industry is well aware that March next year is an initial deadline to comply with that 30% HDG requirement and the level four certification requirement. Okay. Okay. I think a, a good place to go next would be to talk a little bit, Dominic, about um, the licensing framework in South Africa and how Starlink would have to comply with that to enter the local market, either Starlink or its local partner that it chooses. Um, we, we, we hear often about ECS licenses and ECNS licenses, uh, 
basically service and network licenses, I understand it. Then there are individual and class licenses. It's it's not. Um, it, I mean, it's all rather complicated to someone who's not involved in the the industry. What are all of these licenses? Perhaps a definition of what an ECS is, what an ECNS is, what an individual license is, and what a class license is would be helpful uh, to sure. understanding exactly what Starlink needs to do to get li- fully licensed in this market. Sure. So, so it's a great question, and um, there are a lot of people who think they understand the licensing framework, including at the regulator, but actually don't. Um, and this is fundamentally problematic. So let me take this opportunity to pull up my soapbox. Um, okay. the, 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 the ECNS, the Electronic Communications Network Service License, that is about making capacity available over a network. Okay, It's not about owning the network. It's about um, making capacity available over it. The Electronic Communication Service ECS license, that's essentially an ISP voice license. So that's more about what you use that capacity for, what routing you put in place um, and measures to allow people to access websites or services or to have a voice call. So for, for, for those listening in your let's say your office environment, let's say you're lucky enough to have fiber coming in, that fiber is provided by OpenServe, and you've chosen Web Africa as your, your ISP. OpenServe has deployed that fiber and attached equipment to each end to light that fiber up. And by lighting it up, they are making capacity available. They're allowing packets to go from one part of the network to another part of the network. They then sell that capacity to Web Africa on their open access network, and I contract with Web Africa for my ISP package of uncapped 50 gig up, 50 meg up and down internet access. So OpenServe acts as the ECNS licensee. It operates the infrastructure, makes capacity available. Web Africa is the ECS licensee. In the mobile network environment, that relationship gets collapsed. So if you look at Vodacom, you can clearly see it's got a network portion, the the radios and the towers, um, and it switches those radios on and um, has the necessary frequency to connect them. It then makes capacity available on that network generally to itself to provide internet access or voice. More recently, we're seeing also MVNOs come in and they're also um, obtaining capacity on the mobile networks and reselling mobile services there. Then lastly, the individual versus class is simply a matter of geographic area. So an individual license is valid for the whole country. A class license is valid for a municipal area, be that a district municipality or a metropolitan municipality. So, if we then go back to Starlink, we say, well, individual or class, well, it's it's a, a national service. Um, so I would be able to obtain Starlink wherever I put my equipment down, my kit down. So I'm looking at an individual license. There would need to be spectrum involved in terms of uplink, specific um, spectrum to uplink to the, the Starlink constellation then you can see that they would have a, an Earth Gateway station. They'd probably they'd have live components in terms of connecting up um, individual users to that core network for backhaul. 
that is going to be an electronic communications network service. If they are themselves then providing internet access and voice services over that, they will also require the electronic communications service license. So I would say that the licenses they require access to are an individual ECNS and an individual ECS. Plus Spectrum. And Spectrum. The Spectrum is, is okay. non-problematic in terms of it's um, inexpensive and readily available. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the primary... Um uh, what's the word, uh, primary um, roles of uh, the regulator is to ensure that there isn't interference between devices and, and that the spectrum that those devices are using are not causing interference. Uh, how much of an issue is interference in the delivery of satellite services? Not a massive issue at all. If you just think about the nature of it, it's straight up and straight down. Um, there's far less scope for interference than with terrestrial wireless communications. And these, these, uh, the frequencies that these satellite uh, networks like Starlink uses, that frequency is, uh, is not the same frequencies that you'd use for mobile telecommunications, for no. example. These are much higher frequencies, right? Um, they're, they're interleaved with some of the IMT allocations and where you, you do in some bands get coexistence between mobile and, um, and space. Um, and then there are very specific rules to protect against any um, harmful interference. I want to refer you to a specific uh, statement made by ICASA in their statement last week, and I'm going to quote here. They say, the authority would like to emphasize that currently there is no policy direction issued by the minister and no ITA or invitation to apply issued by the authority that makes it possible for the authority, and they love the word authority, don't they, <clears throat> to consider applications for IECNS and or IECS network and service licenses. Um, wh why, why are no new licenses being issued? Um, I, my understanding was that the market is effectively liberalized post the LTEC judgment from about 15 years ago. Um, why, why are there artificial restrictions around licensing of, of new players? There shouldn't be. Um, it's a legacy item from our old friend, the managed liberalization policy of the late 90s and early 2000s. So um, when we went from the Telecommunications Act to the Electronic Communications Act, a, a section found its way in saying that ICASA could not issue um, inv individual ECNS licenses in the absence of a policy direction. So the thinking in 2006 when that was drafted was they didn't know the Big Bang liberalization was coming in 2010, um, courtesy of Altec. Um, so they wanted to maintain this ability to pull up the handbrake on individual licenses. Um, subsequently, we know in 2010, there were 542 pairs of individual licenses issued um, in the license conversion process, and that whole uh, managed liberalization policy became moot. The section, however, is still there. Um, so... And Duncan, it's, it's, it's a trivial thing to actually fix. And, and, you know, as ISPA, we've been writing to the minister and the regulator for about two to three years now to say, in terms of the IECS license, there's no formality required. 
because it can simply put up a form, say, this is an application for an individual electronic communication service license. It's going to cost you 50,000 Rand to apply. And these are the requirements. Show us your 30% um, equity ownership by HDGs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, ICASA in its, in its notice seemed to believe that that needs to be some kind of a competitive process. I don't think that's correct. I don't think this is, you know, because we're going to suddenly be launching IECS licenses for a new project, they would issue an ITA. No, they just need to put a standard ITA out so that anyone who wants that license can go and apply for it instead of going through this torturous second-hand willing buyer, willing seller process that you've got at the moment. With the IECNS, the network service license, it's slightly more complicated in that, as the law stands, we need that policy direction. But again, it would be, be trivial for the minister to, to issue a policy direction saying, I hereby direct ICASA to issue a standing invitation to apply for these licenses as of this date. That is all it okay. will take. And it's open-ended. And it's open-ended because, as you as you rightly point out, there is no leverage here. There's no mileage or value to be gained from restricting um, access to these licenses. And actually, as ISPA on our road shows to the smaller ISPs, it is a genuine barrier to growth. They cannot afford the 1 million rand and eight months it takes to acquire an individual license on the open market. They need an easier sure. way to do that so that they can access national services and numbering, et cetera, et cetera. So if Starlink was to come in, they'd have to go through this process of finding someone who owns these licenses and purchase these licenses from them. Um, <clears throat> and there'd have to be some sort of commercial negotiation. Is that correct? Look, there are a number of ways it could be done. There would have to be some commercial negotiation. So they don't necessarily need to buy the licenses. They could, for example, take control of the company that owns the licenses. They could enter into some kind of other arrangement with that company on purely commercial terms without equity. Um, so, so a number of ways to, to for them to skin that cat. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I wanted to draw your attention to one more paragraph that Icasa, or one more thing Icasa said in its statement last week. It said, uh, in, further to the licensing issue, it said, however, in it, any entity wishing to obtain an ICECNS and or IECS license in the absence of a policy directive and or ITA may approach any current IECNS slash IECS. There must be a better way of term- <laughs> coming up with this terminology than these uh, acronyms. Um, willing to transfer or part with its individual license. The licensee slash transferor must approach the authority to apply for permission to transfer the license. Has ICASA ever said no? Yes. Um, so, so you know, these transactions, like I said, it's either I'm acquiring the license or I'm acquiring control of the licensee. Um, so one high-profile no was Vodacom Neotel some years ago, okay. where Vodacom applied for cont- to, to take control over those licenses, and that was refused on competition and other um, bases. Right. So, no, okay. it doesn't happen often. Um, typically, you know, the, it's a very bureaucratic process. Um, you must have, as the applicant, that 30% ownership when you approach the regulator. 
Um, you must have a report relating to consumer protection. You must have a report relating to the impact on competition of the transaction. Um, other than that, it's, it's really just admin. Um, and the majority of these transactions take place at, at the lower end of the market where there isn't really going to be an impact on competition or, or consumers. Okay. We've also more recently seen this with Maziv. Um, so, you know, that the is just an right interesting right one because Ikasa, of course, said we have no difficulties with the Civ H Vodacom tie-up transaction. Um, we have no competition concerns. And then subsequently the commission turned around and said, well, we absolutely do have concerns. So... Um, that's probably an instance where, on reflection, Icasa would think it should have said no. Okay. And on the spectrum licenses, is is that a complicated process, or can you Not simply go to Icasa and say, "I'd like to"? No. Yeah. Easy to get a spectrum license. Easy, reasonably okay. quick, and and inexpensive. Um, okay. Duncan, if I may also raise something, um, because I think it's a it's an important part of what we're talking about with Starlink, is of course. where are we going with, with handset to satellite communications? So Starlink has a model which is retail-centric. It likes to sign up consumers in its own name, and it's publicly said, look, they're launching messaging, 2024 and they're launching voice and data services direct to consumer in 2025 which is a fascinating thing for the local industry um, Vodacom as you know has made an announcement of partnering partnering with Amazon's project Kaper and initially they're Publicly, you know, public statements were around that would be very useful in linking rural base stations and providing backhaul from those kind of hard-to-serve locations. But more recently, they, they've become far more bullish on the handset to satellite um, as being the next big thing. MTN, I note, have obtained trial licenses from ICASA for Spectrum for handset to satellite on there. So without partnering with anyone, that is also something they're looking at. And it feels like a component of the Starlink conversation that's missing in terms of the potential for that service to disintermediate a lot of South African providers. So, you know, I will have local partners who will provide me with backhaul services. But other than that, I'm essentially taking away from the local market to a foreign player. Um, so from a national economic perspective in terms of revenue, there are challenges with that approach for us as a country. I'm not sure it's something we would welcome. We, we should be striking better deals than that. Um, and it's a, it's a very interesting challenge for the mobile networks and for the ISP community going forward in terms of, well, how do we play with not just Starlink, but this entire range of new LEO services that are going to launch and become available, many of which I think will supersede Starlink. Um, 
so so that's you know that's looking forward and saying well we're talking about the licensing now and there's a lot of objection to the requirements i think industry would be quite supportive of starlink being subjected to the same requirements as they are because it is going to be a significant competitor and that also goes for the other leo operators so mm. you know i think the conversation definitely needs to 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 start looking forward to what is the kind of impact that these services will have on the local market we we focused at the moment on a an almost euphoric kind of messianic vision of Starlink being able to solve all of South Africa's digital divide and communications problems. That's self-evidently not true. Um, Tech Central's carried a pricing comparison. This is not a, a cheap service that's available. It's not comparable to what FiberTime and OpenServe and Vumatil Key and MFN are doing in the townships with five rand a gig, et cetera, et cetera or for five rand a day fiber. Um, so so just to put that out there that that it would be very interesting to get comments from from industry players in terms of where do they see this going? Do we lose out to the LEOs? Um, I can tell you that ISPA has also tried to contact Starlink to say, well, we'd love to engage in some conversation with you about whether we can resell your services and whether we can fit into this value chain that you're proposing going forward. Um, also, like you, with no response. Interesting. Interesting. I was going to ask you whether whether the ISPs are keen to resell this infrastructure like they do sure. OpenServe, et cetera, at the moment. Absolutely. You know, that's core business. And if that's something that's coming and is going to take a slice of the pie, then the ISPs want to compete as they do on top of that. We've heard um, multi-choice, just to stay with this topic for a moment longer, um, complain that companies like Netflix, for example, sell their programming in South Africa but are not uh, subject to the same rules and regulations as traditional broadcasters. Um, is this a similar sort of situation where potentially someone like a Starlink could come in and sell services directly to end users in South Africa and bypass all of the regulations that companies like Vodacom and Telcom have to be subjected to? It, 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 it is a comparison. Um, what you will find in that broadcasting audiovisual space, though, is that there is a movement to address that. So firstly, um, Netflix and Disney Plus no longer get a free ride from the Film and Publication Board. They are required to register. They're required to put up the little yellow triangles telling us you know, what kind of content we are going to be viewing. Um, so they've been brought into that content, online content regulation that the, the FPB is doing. The Department of Communications is finalizing an audio and audiovisual content white paper at the moment. And that is a long overdue look at this entire industry and saying, you know, calling it broadcasting is not accurate anymore because we have this new mode of delivery of IP. We have these, um, the Netflixes, the Disney Pluses. So we need a new categorization. So what they're proposing is they would introduce an audio visual license as the top level. And subcategories of that would be traditional linear broadcasting as we, we know it. 
as well as IPTV and video on demand. So that would bring a Netflix, for example, into a position where it required licensing in South Africa in order to make its services available. And let's, you know, leave aside the difficulties of enforcing that, um, you know, VPNs and, and ways to get around it. We know those exist, but that I don't think takes away from the principle of saying, if you're going to do business in South Africa and take revenue, then we want to be involved and we want to be involved in consumer protection and content regulation in South Africa, which is, like it or not, a legitimate government concern. So, so Duncan, yes, you can draw comparisons, but, um, you know, multi-choice's complaint is being addressed. It's, it's going to take some time, but... Um, you know, even the Googles of this world might be drawn into that licensing framework in terms of a category called video sharing platform services. So TikToks, Googles would require a license exemption, and that would just be to put certain um, consumer protection, child protection measures in place. Okay. I wanted to just deal with the last part of the ACASA licensing process, and that's around uh, what they term type approval. Uh, this is to do with uh, approving for sale the a certain electronic equipment in South Africa. I believe anything that has a communications chip or antenna inside it has to be looked at in some way by ACASA. Um, is this a is this a self um, um, self-regulating issue in that companies will say, well, we comply with these rules and these are the frequencies we use? Or does every piece of equipment that comes into South Africa have to be looked at by an engineer or a technician at ICASA to determine whether it is, in fact, using those frequencies? So it does. The own type approval is, is old-school telecoms regulation, and you'll find it in every country in the world. So we've got a fairly standard regime. Um, it's one of the things ICASA actually does reasonably well. It's got an online portal. Um, mm -hmm. But essentially, um, Duncan, it's, it's, you know, when we look at the Starlink equipment and they make a statement like it may implode or explode, that sounds very dramatic. And it certainly is in relation to Starlink equipment, but it's not um, in terms of handsets and batteries and things of that nature which get imported in the grey market. So there is a, a rationale for these type approval rules to to apply. Um, you, you don't – it's not scrutinized by, by ICASA. So with um, a certain piece of equipment, you have associated standards. It's your responsibility as the OEM, the original equipment manufacturer or the distributor to go to a test house or test laboratory and have the necessary testing done to show that that equipment can be operated safely or if it's radio frequency um, RF equipment to show that it's not um, giving harmful emissions and that it operates within set parameters. So you would not you would bring those test reports to ICASA, they would scrutinize those as opposed to the actual kit and taking it apart. So it's a reasonably quick process. Okay. Um, you you get a simple procedure and you get a complicated procedure. Um, the simple one, it's a matter of weeks. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then lastly, I'd like to just chat a little bit about uh, the reports that um, – Thousands of these Starlink terminals have already entered the South African market and, are in fact, being used here already. 
um, I, I guess the first question is how how are they getting in? Um, presumably from our neighbouring countries. Does um, does the South African Revenue Service not uh, inspect the stuff at the at the ports of entry and and confiscate anything that's not been approved? Deem it as contraband. Um, is there anything like that that happens? I mean, how do you, how do you think this equipment is actually getting into the country? I have no specific insights, I and mean, I mean, you've just outlined the great South African distinction between theory and practice. So, <laughs> in theory, you know, no, they shouldn't be getting in. Um, in practice, it's all too easy, and I mean, it's not a large piece of kit to stick in the boot of your car or. Um, you know, if an ISP is bringing in bulk, that's not really difficult to do. Um, but the the equipment that's not type approved shouldn't be in anyone's possession in South Africa. Um, Duncan, it's it's interesting wording they used. You know, it's not, um, despite the frequent references to being the authority, they're not saying thou shalt not. They say we, you know, we encourage South Africans not to use this equipment. So that's a very interesting word. It's not um, saying you're prohibited and the full force of the law will apply. It's kind of this encouragement towards not using non-type approved equipment. Um, you know, if you if you're in that position and you're you're getting the service, well, again, your chances of being apprehended for any potential crime or having the equipment confiscated are close to zero. Um, you know, that doesn't have to say as a lawyer that doesn't make it right, but um, again, um, and and I would anticipate that you know maybe a way to close this off is to say that I think. Starlink, if it makes the executive decision, could be up and running in South Africa long before the launch dates predicted for neighboring countries. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So uh, watch this space. Dominic Cull is regulatory advisor to the Internet Service Providers Association. Thanks for clarifying uh, what is a fairly complex issue. And uh, thanks uh, for sharing your insights with Tech Central today. It's much appreciated. Pleasure. Thank you, Duncan. Thank you.